Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message from Hollyview Church. We continue our study in the book of Ephesians. This week we're in Ephesians chapter 2 with a message from Pastor Joel, One Community. Ephesians 2. This is a very rich uh, passage of scripture, um, and I would like to read it, uh, the whole chapter, uh, together. She can just remain uh, seated as I read it. We'll be in Ephesians 2 this morning. And we'll read verses 1 through 22, the whole chapter, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Spirit, to one, in one spirit to the Father. 
So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, Paul sees us all in the same situation. We're all dead in our sins. We're separated from God, and there's, there's nothing we can do but God. He made us alive. He raised us up. He sat us together with Christ and with each other. And now Paul, in this, in this text, wants to wake you up to this new reality, this new creation that you are in Christ. He wants you to wake up. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach this text, it's so rich in meaning and so powerful for even uh, us today. Lord, I pray that the, the Spirit, by the Spirit, you would uh, make us alive to your word this morning, that we would um, be alive to hear, that we could hear the words that you have for us this morning, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we could see, we'd see the riches of the blessings that we have in uh, going from death to life and being part of this one new man, this new creation in you, and Lord, that you would, you would change our hearts, you'd soften them this morning, that we would um, be challenged in areas that we need to be challenged in. We would be comforted in other areas, Lord, that we, uh, we would receive the peace that comes from knowing you and being part of the community that you have created in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before we start, I want to set the message up uh, by telling you something that happened on November 2nd, 1994. Uh, I was a senior in high school, Butler High School, Augusta, Georgia. Any Bulldogs out? I'm just kidding, totally kidding. Uh, <laughs> Senior, Butler High School, I was going home from school, I made a left-hand turn with my brothers in the car and got in a car accident. I ended up breaking my C5 uh, vertebrae, my eye socket bone, I got a blood clot in my, my head, I stopped breathing uh, there at the accident, so they rushed me uh, to the hospital. And there in the hospital, they put me on a ventilator, and I was in a coma. Uh, while in the coma, I got um, uh, pneumonia. Uh, I was not looking good. And so for nine grueling days in uh, the hospital, in a coma, my, my senior year, um, it, it just wasn't looking, it wasn't looking very good. They were telling my parents, hey, I don't know, I don't know if he's going to make it out. C5 vertebrae, it's a lot of like paralysis. He might be a totally different person. You just, just expect uh, the worst. Well, nine days in, uh, with pneumonia on the ventilator, uh, they were talking about doing a tracheotomy. So I don't know if you know what a tracheotomy is. It's where they uh, cut a hole in your windpipe to help you breathe uh, better. It was kind of getting to that uh, point. Um, well, that day, there was a nurse named uh, Rosa Sanchez. Rosa Sanchez. Uh, I've never met her since, but my parents remember her name. Uh, Rosa Sanchez uh, said, uh, we're not going to do a tracheotomy. We're going to wake him up. Uh, and she spent her whole shift, uh, 12 hours or 24 hours, I don't even know how long, uh, in one attempt to wake me up. 
Uh, she brought in music. She asked my parents, what music does he like? Blasting music. They're moving me around. She sat me up in my bed, even in a coma. Uh, she put me in a wheelchair, moved me outside, and the whole time, Joel, you need to wake up. Wake up, Joel. Wake up. And sure enough, nine days uh, after being in a coma, I, I woke up uh, that day. Uh, my parents were there uh, with me and realized, whoa, his eyes are open, but I actually don't remember uh, any, any of that. It took 14 days after I was in the hospital that they wheeled me uh, home, and I spent the next three months doing uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech uh, therapy. And I, I started getting memories a couple months after, but I had missed uh, two months of my senior year um, in high school. And as they were going to start talking about transitioning me back to my senior year, uh, I did pretty well in school. And so they had this huge um, meeting uh, of everybody uh, to see how they were going to transition me uh, back. Um, but as I was, I was home, especially those two months after the car accident, uh, my parents told me uh, we did the same thing every night. So I slept for about 20 hours, 22 hours a day, and I'd come to the dinner table, and they said, you ask the same questions every night at dinner. What happened, and where was I? And then they would tell me the same story. Well, there was a car accident, and you were in the hospital, and now you're home. And then I'd go back to bed. And the next day, I'd wake up, go to the dinner table, and I'd say, what happened? Where was I? And they would tell me. They, they said it was really eerie because I didn't have a lot of emotions during that time. Uh, and they were reminding me of this story over and over again. Uh, and as I, was, as I was waking up, my, my parents and my friends and everyone around me was like, this is, you've been given a new lease on life. You should have been dead, but now you're alive. Remember, this, this happened. Now, just like Rosa, that nurse that was in the hospital, uh, and, and my family and my friends, all of them trying to wake me up to this new reality of what happened. That's what we're going to see today, as Paul is going to call believers. All of you who are walking with Christ, he wants you to wake up to this new reality of a new creation that you are. He's going to remind you over, you were like this, but you're not anymore. Wake up. You're alive in Christ. And he's going to remind you of, of where you were and, and where you are now and where you will be. And you might be thinking even this morning, what's, what's it like to wake up to a whole new, uh, new creation? Uh, maybe you even put your faith in Christ and you're like, yeah, but the world seems pretty broke still and I'm not quite sure what's, what's changed. I'm still, I'm still struggling. What's it look like to live as this new creation in Christ? Well, that brings us back to our text as we're going to see Paul, he's going to point out two things in our text, two instruments that he uses to wake us up to the reality of this new creation, to this new life in Christ. We're going to, we're going to see two agents of the new creation in our text. We'll, we'll see the first one uh, in verses 1 through 10. It's really this new creation of being brought from death to life, and that's by God's grace. You'll see God's grace all over those verses. And then you'll see the second section, verses 11 through 22, is this new creation of this hostility that's been brought to peace by the Spirit. So death to life by God's grace and hostility to peace by the Spirit. It's God wants you to wake up. Are we awake this morning? Okay, good. That's good. I'll try to keep you awake. First one, new creation of death to life by God's grace. 
So let's listen once again as, as Paul speaks about where you once were. This is, what, this is where you were before. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, you were dead and walking, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. And we'll talk about what that means. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just like everybody. Uh, that's all humanity's starting point. We start off as these like zombies, these dead people walking. This deadness is really separation from God, a, a, a powerlessness to make things as they should be, to bring, to reconcile and put things as they, as they once were and as they should be. You're, you're impossible. You're dead. You can't do it. And it's not even a picture of like me in the hospital bed in a coma. This is more like a picture of somebody in the morgue. You're, you're dead, but you're also walking. So it's like you're a dead man walking. It's the land uh, of the dead is what you're living in. Uh, the land of the dead. It says that you're following the course of this world. You're, you're going through actions and motions, but, but it's a whole different world that you once lived in. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. Which is really a title for, for Satan. It's the one who has a temporary control over this world, and so it's like uh, the prince of the power of the air. It's almost like the air that you're breathing has been manipulated and controlled by the evil one to get you to do anything that is contrary to God's will and even for your own good. It, it even like the air you breathe even takes on a new identity for yourself. It, it's not like we're... Uh, it's not like we're children who disobey. We are children of disobedience. Our identity of who we are in this land of the dead, as we breathe this stale air of, of sin and brokenness, we take on the, the identity of it, children of disobedience. So, so that as even we just breathe this air, what, what, it just seems normal in our world. The, the violence, the, the hatred, the wars... Everyone who, who lives and walks as dead people in the land of the dead, it just seems normal. That seems right. We, we breathe in selfishness, and we breathe out greed and lust. We, we breathe in worry and self-consciousness, and we breathe out anger and violence. And Paul's like, you need to wake up. The gospel, it breaks through the land of the dead like the first rays of the sun in the morning. And it breaks through in our text in two words. But God. But God. You were dead. There was nothing you can do but God. Look in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's stop right there. We were dead. We were walking in the land of the dead, but God. God stepped in and offered salvation. He was moved or motivated by this love. This love for, for us. But it wasn't because of us. It was because of who he was. As, as a Trinitarian God, a three-in-one, perfect in relationship, perfect in love, perfect in holiness, because of who he was, that love, it motivated him to, I'm going to reach down to the people living in the land of the dead, and I'm going to offer salvation and grace. That's good. So he wants you to, to wake up. Paul, Paul is saying, wake up. You were this way. You're not anymore. Stop breathing that old air. He even speaks of this. You're a new creation. He speaks of this in verse 10. Do you see where it says you were created in Christ Jesus? Now, Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, it's not a, it's not a second name. It's a title. You were created in King Jesus, who is the ruler of heaven and earth. But you were enemies with God. And even as enemies, God comes down and he shapes you and he molds you to be his workmanship. And if you have a different uh, translation, it might have something uh, different there. They're trying to figure out uh, how, to, how to encompass this word in Greek, workmanship. It's the, the Hebrew uh, or the Greek word is poema, which you get the word poem from, or this artistic uh, beauty. It's like God is taking uh, us who in the land of the dead and shaping and forming us into Christ Jesus, into King Jesus, and then breathing in us the breath of life as a new creation. New life together with him. You can think of it like a, like a potter in the potter's wheel. Uh, that, that clay can't form itself in any way. It is dead. There's nothing it can do. But the potter reaches down and shapes it and mold it so it can be this thing of beauty and bring life and art to the world. And that's exactly what God does. And this instrument that he uses to bring us from the land of the dead to, to life, salvation, is it says over and over, by grace. By grace. You can picture it like Rosa Sanchez, by my bed. Wake up. Wake up. He, he wants to make you alive. He raises you up. He, he seats you. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I don't deserve it. But God, by grace, makes you alive. Yeah, but I don't think I could ever repay it. But God, by grace, pulls you up. It's not but you. It's but God does the work. He reaches down and grabs you. This overwhelming grace pulls you out of the darkness, out of the kingdom, out of the power of the prince of the air to wake up. Grace. Getting something you don't deserve or you could ever pay back. And it's simply the generosity of the giver. And I think that's why it's so hard for us often to accept things by grace. Because it almost points out, yeah, but I can't pay you back, so I'd rather not receive it. 
I'm not good enough, so I don't really want to receive it. But the generosity of this grace that God gives, if we just humbly receive it, would bring life. He starts off, Paul, in verse 5, by grace you have been saved. It's like boiling in him. That it even goes on in verse 8 and explains it even further. By grace you have been saved, oh yeah, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Grace, that unmerited favor lavished on you by the love of God. It's another Greek word It's uh, for grace. It's uh, charis. It's, the, it's, this, it's not just like uh, grace. It also encompasses this idea of the attitude of the person who's giving a gift. Uh, it's a gift-giving person who has, out of the generosity and love, uh, just lavishes something on you, not out of like begrudgingly, but like overflowing with joy to go, I'm so glad I can give this to you. So before we move on, I want to make just one observation about waking up to the new creation from death to life by, by grace. Uh, an observation I think that it should impact all of us to wake up to this reality. What you have received as grace, you know, really this gift given to you out of the joy of the heart of God, should then overflow out as grace to other people. What you receive as a gift, you should be giving as a gift, because it's not from you anyway. It's this overflowing of God's grace, and it should shape and change us as these people who walk in this land that are breathing this new air. Now, Jesus illustrated this story uh, in Matthew 18, just about this, this point or this idea. Uh, there was a man, and this is like, it's, uh, he exaggerates it, but I think he exaggerates it to make the point. So there's this guy in this kingdom who owes the king $16 billion in today's money. $16 billion in today's money. The king then calls for this servant to come before him uh, to, hey, we got to settle this debt, $16 billion. Well, that servant comes in and, and goes, hey, just be patient with me. I'll pay it back, which already in the story you're like, pay back $16 billion? Like who, is there anyone that can do that? Because our expansion project has got like, we got no problem, <laughs> $16 billion dollars. So he falls on his feet. He knows he's helpless. He can't do anything. Be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Does the king's like 16 billion? You can't pay it back. So, so rather than even do anything, he just forgives the whole debt. I forgive you. 16 billion dollars gone. You're forgiven. But that servant walks out of there, still breathing that old air, because he goes to another servant that owes him $10,000 in today's money. $10,000. And he says, give me my money back. He wrings his neck and has him thrown in jail until he'll pay the $10,000 back. He's been forgiven $16 billion, but can't, can't give up on this $10,000. And so the king calls him back in says, what is it that you've done? I've forgiven you $16 billion, and you can't forgive $10,000? I think that story is really the illustration of what it's like to wake up to this to this new creation in Christ. You've gone from death to life. He's forgiven you your sins. You're breathing this new air. So, so how then, if you are made this new creation, if you've been forgiven your sins, how, how can you hold on to a grudge? How, how can you be bitter and unforgiving? 
If you were loved when you didn't deserve it, when you were the worst, how can you not be kind to people? Paul's saying, wake up. You're free. You're breathing new air. You no longer have to keep score. You don't have to get revenge. You've gone from death to life by grace. Breathe that new air. Well, now Paul changes the focus a little bit, and he widens it out, I believe, in how he comes to this next section. Having brought us from death to life into this new kingdom, this salvation he's offered us, he's seated us in the, in the heavenly places. There's like this spiritual realm that we're like co-heirs with Christ now in. He's seated us there. He turns our attention now uh, to not from uh, us going from death to life, but actually, hey, there's people sitting beside you. You've been made alive together with Christ. There's, there's this communal, this aspect of that you're a new creation, and he wants you to wake you up to the community that's around you. And he does this. He pictures this in going from hostility to peace by the Spirit. You, you are now one community. You no longer have to be hostile and vengeance and get what's yours. You can be one in Christ, and you can have peace by the Spirit. Look in verse uh, 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, they're calling names to each other, which is made in, uh, in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus and King Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And that and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access into one spirit, uh, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul uses this example uh, here of a, of a temple, uh, which all those first hearers would have, they could have pictured it in their, in their mind. The illustration of what this point is, the, the breaking down of walls and these dividing walls of hostility and becoming this living uh, temple which Jesus is the cornerstone at. Uh, now there's some, the commentaries kind of argue, what's, the, what's this wall of hostility? Uh, is, it really, um, is it really a physical wall or is it not? And I think Paul is just like, hey, I'm just opening your minds to, to picture and illustrate what this is. And I'm using uh, some examples like that you would commonly have in your mind. And so you might have walls of hostility in your mind uh, of what that might be. But Paul wants us to go back and see it at least in terms of uh, the temple and, and why we build walls that divide and, and they attack and there's hostility and it separates and divides. 
Uh, the first image we, we really should go back to is the tabernacle. So in Exodus, God creates a place where his dwelling will be, a dwelling place with God, with, with man. And so he sets up this, uh, this tabernacle, the dwelling place, where God will dwell with his people. And it's actually very simple if you look at it. Uh, it's got a courtyard, and then it's got the holy place. And in the holy place, there's the holy of holy place. But, but really, uh, it's, it's holy, it's courtyard area of those who come, and then everything out, outside of that. It's pretty simple. Uh, but as you'll notice, and if you, and if you have a, even a picture of what the temple is like today, it changes over the years. Uh, and I, I looked and saw, like, how did all these walls and things start changing, and, I don't, and it doesn't really, I don't see it in the Bible. Like, I want you to make a wall that keeps out the Gentiles. I want you to make you a wall to keep out the women. Uh, but over the years, somehow, these walls start being built, uh, so that in Herod's temple, all of a sudden, we have built all these walls. So if you're a Gentile coming to the temple, that's fine, but you've got to stay way over there, because us Jews, we're better than you. So come on in if you're, is, you know, if you're of Jewish descent, come on in. Well, except if you're a woman, then I want you to stay out there. Uh, and then Israelites, all the men of Israel, come on in. Well, except you're, if you're from, not from the tribe of Levi, and then I want you to stay out there. If you're a tribe of Levi, you're part of the priests, come on in here. And, and they've divided all of these sections, separate and divide, which creates this, I'm better than you. But Paul, speaking to the Jews and the Gentiles, and Gentiles is really uh, everyone else. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So it's basically everyone in the world that the wall of separation has been broken. That now you all are one in Christ. Which means that every other identity you have as a Christian is secondary. When we say, I'm a Christ follower, there should be no adjective in front of Christ follower or Christian. Instead, every other identity that you hold uh, then is brought into this one community and laid at the cross for the benefit of the body. Every other identity laid at the foot of the cross, the riches of the kingdom that we can then enjoy together and see the beauty of. So, so you're a Christian, maybe, who happens to be an American. Or you're a Christian who happens to be Mexican. Uh, you're a Christian who happens to be old. You're a Christian who happens to be young. You're a Christian who happens to be single. Or you're a Christian who happens to be married. All those secondary issues are just secondary. And as we come into Christ, as we become one in Christ, and all those secondary identities are left behind, we have this beautiful kaleidoscope of people that all bring their gifts to the Lord and to this community of Jesus followers. We find our identity first and foremost, <coughs> excuse me, in being in Christ. We are in Christ. So then as we relate with one another, Paul wants to wake you up. Your starting point with anyone who is in Christ, and actually anyone in the world, your starting point is a place of grace and a place of peace. When you have a fight with somebody, it's not... It's not violence that you start with, or, or I'm on this side of the wall and you're on that side of the wall. It's a place of grace and peace. It's not how much can you give me for this, or how much are you worth, or if you're good enough, you can come in here. Uh, if not, I'm going to fight you on that thing. It's, its starting point is of grace and peace. Grace and peace. 
grace and peace. It's, it's actually how Paul starts his letter, if you remember from several weeks ago. Ephesians 1-2 says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. The air that he's breathing as a new creation is of grace and peace, and it, over, it overflows into his letter, into how he relates with other people. It's not just like a nice greeting, like, hey, how you doing today? It's intentional. It's Holy Spirit-driven grace and peace. We are one community in Christ, made alive together, raised up, seated together in Christ. And Paul's trying to wake you up to this new creation that through grace, through Christ and the Spirit, you've been brought from death to life, but also into this one community, this beautiful kaleidoscope community of Jesus followers, that we are being in Christ. You know, after 14 days in the hospital, I was actually able to get out of the hospital. Like I told you, I went to all this occupational and speech and uh, physical therapy. Senior year, what am I going to do? I've missed two months of, of school, and they call this meeting called the meeting of my principal, the administration, the teachers, uh, my therapists, my doctors. All these people got together just because of me and my, and my parents, of course, uh, too. They all got together and they sat down in a meeting and said, what are we going to do uh, with Joel? What do, we want, what do we want to do? It's a senior year. Um, I had pretty good grades, so they said, we want him to graduate with all of his friends. And so this community of people uh, all put effort and patience and kindness. And, and as I was waking up to this new reality uh, of who, of what had happened and who I, I was, all of a sudden I realized how many people were there encouraging me and challenging me on the way. Rosa Sanchez, my doctor, my principals, students around me, students I didn't even know. It was a pretty large school. This community all around, I was waking up to realize it's not just me. It's not just what it's for me. There's people calling right now. <laughs> we are connected as a community. So as we come to the end here, I think Paul would, would want to, if he was here this morning and speaking, I think he would want to say, wake up. Wake up. Stop breathing that old air. You were dead, but you're not dead anymore. You were, you were walking around following the prince of the power of the air, which seemed normal and right to you, but it's not. It's broken. It's evil. It's not good for you. Wake up. Wake up to the grace you have received and you can pour out to others. Wake up to this free gift of salvation. And if you haven't woken up this morning and you would like to know more, come talk to me or, or anyone in the pew next to you this morning. Like, what's it look like to wake up in Christ, to breathe that, that air of salvation, the grace that God has given you, the forgiveness of your sins? Wake up. And if you have, start living like it. And if you start feeling like, man, I'm, I'm getting that revenge or I'm getting this anger and all this stuff, just stop and breathe. Which air am I breathing? Am I walking around as a dead person, or am I alive in Christ? Am I remembering who I, who I am? And, and then he'd say, wake up. Wake up to this beautiful diversity of this community that you're in. Lean into relationships. 
When people gather as God's people, there should be no uh, adjective in front of us. We are God's community. doesn't matter whatever you place in front of that. You shouldn't place anything in front of that. And then whatever you do have to offer that as a gift to other people. The starting point of grace and peace. Remembering the redemption that you have in the work of Christ and how he has reached down in the land of the dead and offered you salvation. That's something to say amen to, right? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this uh, encouraging message. Thank you so much for uh, when we were dead in our sins, when there's nothing we can do that, that you reach down, but God, by grace, that we don't have to, to pay you back for anything, but that you have just given us freedom to love you and respond with, with grace that overflows into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would wake us all up, even this week as we get into the rhythm of things and we start breathing the air that's all around us, following the prince of the power of the air, the course of this world, would we, would we stop to realize we're breathing the wrong air? And would the Holy Spirit move and, and challenge us? Would we lean into relationships, even with people that are so different than us, to see the beauty of what they have to bring to us and to your body? And Lord, would we, would we be, be a people who live in one community because we find our, our identity in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel rooted in God's Word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.